boldness and wisdom from heaven, Lord God. Holy Spirit, would you anoint him and would you open his lips and give him the heavenly words that they will be planted in our hearts, that our lives will be transformed and be completely changed, Lord God. So, Father, I pray and we give you this time to you, Lord God. May you receive all the glory, honor, and praise, Lord God. May you come to this uh, place right now and be with us, be here with us, Lord God. So we thank you, Jesus, and we love you, and we know that you're here with us right now. So we thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is both for a Christian. This verse 8 is both for a Christian and also for uh, somebody who doesn't know Christ. Double-mindedness is horrible. Right? So you can't be on two paths at one time. You're either on the straight gate that leads to everlasting life, or you're on the broad way. You can't be on both. One goes one direction, the other goes the other. So it is with your mind, that your mind can wander and have good, benevolent thoughts toward Jesus Christ, or religion, or church, or the Bible. But there's another side of the mind that may uh, decide that well, those things aren't necessarily good for me, maybe it's good for somebody else and not me. So the issue here, that it says here, if you're, if you're double-minded in just a small measure, then you're double-minded in your whole life. Right? Think about how this really applies for eternity. Like if you're sort of convinced, King Agrippa was sort of convinced, he said almost, Paul preached this message to him in the council when he was defending himself. And Paul tells him this thing was not done in the corner, this issue, this, this man, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, he, uh, after being crucified, after living a holy life, he rose from the dead, this thing wasn't done in the corner, and therefore, you should believe it came from. And he said, almost God persuades me to be a Christian. Yeah. Almost is not good enough. Paul said, I would to God that you were not only almost, but altogether such as I am, Amen. except for these bonds. He was in chains. He was in prison. But almost is not good enough. Jesus says, you're either with me or you are against me. You can't have it both ways. So you'll notice in this church with many of these young ladies like uh, Cindy and others, they are 100% convinced that their life can be hid with Christ and God. They're convinced that they can take up their cross daily and follow Him all the way to the ends of the earth if needs be, to even die for Him, because they know that this is all that there is to live for. And we're going to talk a lot more about this, all that there is to live for, because in the next couple of verses, James is going to kind of un unveil the vanity of life, right? Like Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, right? What is it? Well, Solomon had a lot of men singers and women singers and all the enjoyments of life. And he had all the money you could ask for. He was the wisest man who ever lived, beside Jesus Christ, probably. Maybe the Apostle Paul. The wisest man, the richest man. He had everything he could possibly want. And then he said at the end of it all, just vanity. It leaves you wanting more because the eye is not satisfied with things that you see and the ear is not satisfied with things that you hear. You always have to have another dollar. You always have to have the next investment. You always have to get the next promotion. And it never stops and you're never satisfied. But I can tell you this right now, that in Jesus Christ you can be fully satisfied. Amen. He said, come unto me all you that labor and all are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I take my yoke upon you, Lord of me, 
by meek and lowly heart, you shall find rest in your soul. So we're going to learn a lot more about that. We're only going to cover a few verses, I think, today, but uh, they're very, very powerful. So let's look at, uh, we looked at verses 1 through 8 last week. Let's look at verse 9 uh, down through maybe about verse 12. It says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. But the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man, verse 12, that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Can anybody hear me okay in the back? Yeah, okay. Okay. So this is going to talk about riches. I want to give you a little bit of a um, foretaste of what, I, what I'm going to say and maybe what I'm not going to say. Riches is not bad necessarily. Right? In Psalms chapter 62, it says, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Proverbs chapter 2 says, The rich and the poor meet together, the Lord is the maker of them all. Abraham had 318 trained soldiers in his own house, and he was a man who was a friend of God. He was the father of the nations. So it's not riches that is the issue. It's setting your heart upon the riches. It's, it's loving money more than you love God. Right? That's, what, that's what the issue is. But he says here, let the brother of low degree rejoice in, the, in that he is exalted. So there's a principle I think Jesus teaches throughout the entire New Testament, and it's really taught throughout the, all the scripture, and that is that we should always take the lower room. Like the parable that Jesus taught, taught about when you're going to a wedding, well, you some people, like me when I was young, thought I was really important. I remember going to a few weddings, and I would go you know, up into where the bridegroom and the bride were sitting and maybe kind of introduce myself, and maybe I was just a friend of a friend, but I really wanted to be important. And uh, they, I would shake their hand, they would look at me like I'm crazy. Who are you? Right? And so I finally, after a while, got ignored enough that I would you know, go uh, somewhere else and sit maybe in a lower place. But what Jesus teaches, he says, when you go to a wedding, he says, don't go to the uppermost room. Don't go to the room where the bride and the bridegroom are. Take the very lowest room, and then they're going to say, hey, where's Brother Mark, or where's Rigel, where's Bettina? Where are you, right? And they go and they seek you out, and then when you're in the lowest room being humble, well, they say, we'll come up higher. So this is a principle that, that James teaches, that Jesus teaches, the Bible teaches. Yeah, so you think about some of, the, some of the ways this practically works out in Scripture, right? Mm -hmm. Like, remember Joseph? Joseph was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. And uh, he was in great despair. And you may have times of despair where you don't know uh, why things are so bad. And he, we don't have a, uh, a vision of the future. We're not the almighty God who sees the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done. All we know is that we're in a, in a prison. So they threw him into a pit. And he's sold to the Ishmaelites. Next thing you know, he's in Potiphar's house as a slave. The next thing you know is he's being accused by Potiphar's wife of impropriety. And so now he's in prison, right? This is, this is Joseph, right? 
I don't know if you've read the Bible, but if you read the Bible, you know who Joseph is. His brothers always mocked him and didn't like him because he had these dreams. And these dreams were like, someday there's going to be these sheaves that are all going to bow. I'm a sheaf and my uh, 11 brothers are all sheaves. And they're all going to bow down to me someday. And they mocked him and they hated him because of his dreams. And so when they saw him coming, oh, here comes the dreamer. So let's cast him into some pit. And they do. But there came a day he's in the prison and there's two people who have dreams and he interprets the dreams. One's a baker and one's a butler. And he tells the baker that some, someday soon, in the next couple days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and take you out of this world. You're going to die. Right? And he tells the butler that he's going to be restored to his butlership. And both dreams come true. Now, Pharaoh has a dream and what happens? It's like, well... I didn't tell you before, the butler says, but I was in prison and there was a man, his name was Joseph, and he interpreted this dream for me. And when he interpreted my dream, it came true, and he interpreted the baker's dream, it came true. I just want to tell you that if you want this dream interpreted, let's get Joseph. And so they bring Joseph, and Joseph tells them all about the kingdom, the famine that's going to be seven years, the dearth, and then there's going to be, first of all, plenty, and then a famine. And it comes true. So it turns out that Joseph, being a brother of low degree, that's what it says here, like the brother of low degree, rejoicing that he is exalted. So he becomes the second ruler in the whole world. Because Pharaoh was the first ruler in the world. Egypt basically ruled the world at that time. And he becomes second ruler in the whole world. So there's a principle here. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. What is this saying? It's saying that if we want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, we have to decide to be the least. Right? If you want to be um, some, somebody who's special, you have to think of yourself as less than special. If you want to be a ministered unto, you should rather minister instead of being ministered unto. There's a lot of uh, historical uh, stories that I'd like to, to just go through briefly. For example, there was a man by the name of William Carey. Uh, anybody know who William Carey is besides our people? William Carey was the, basically they call him the father of missions because he was one of the very first missionaries that went out. And uh, he had a very tough time in his life as a missionary. He had a wife named Dorothy. And Dorothy was not, uh, she was a really special woman, but she was not a missionary wife. She didn't want to be a missionary wife. So he had this really tough time uh, trying to get to... Uh, where he was going to go in, in the nations and he ends up going to the nations and his wife dies and children die and basically this man who started with such humble beginnings became the father of missions. I mean everybody recognizes William Carey as, as being a great man but he started off by not being so great. There was a couple men by the name of uh, one is Nate Saint and another guy by the name of Jim Elliott and they went to Ecuador and they were setting up a mission in Ecuador. And basically there were some Indians that were, uh, I guess they were cannibals. And they were sort of a border between where they were and this other place where the Aka Indians were. And they started to do things to try to minister to them. They flew over the Aka territory and they threw, uh, let down presents. And, and then they ended up learning how to communicate with them. And then the Akas came to them one time and... Uh, basically started to commune with them, and then before you knew it, within maybe a day or two, they were all speared to death. 
Well, this is kind of like a sad story, right? So here's somebody who had such a great life. Nate Singh was one of my heroes. Like his parents grew up and they let him have a, a, a roof. On his roof, they made a bed where he could sleep on a bed on the roof. His parents didn't say anything, no, no to anything, except for spiritual things. Like the Lord's Day has got to be observed and, and you have to read your Bible and you have to be holy. But anything else, they made him a roller coaster. So this was a really fun-loving guy. He had his whole life ahead of him and he gets speared to death ministering to Aka Indians. So you say, well, that, that's a waste of, the, waste of life, right? Like, why not be a banker or why not go do something that's more profitable? Why go risk your life in one of these places and to get speared to death? But wait a minute, there's the rest of the story. It says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. What happened? Well, what happened is, there was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Elliot, and also Nate Saint's wife, I can't remember her name. They went back into the Aka territory, to women, right? They went back to the Aka territory, and they began to minister to these people, got a lot of information, and because of Nate Saint's death and Jim Elliott's death, and there was about three other men that were with him, that opened up the door to the Aka Indians who were absolutely impenetrable. They were cannibals. They were horrible. And the whole community, many of the people in, in that territory now are, are believers because of this. Lillian Trasher. I, don't, I have about three, or three, three more of these, but Lillian Trasher was a great woman. When I think of missionary women, I think of like, Gladys Allward, Lillian Trasher, Amy Wilson Carmichael, and then maybe like uh, Maria Taylor, Hudson Taylor's wife, and people like this, or Adoniram Judson's wife. Really great women. Florence Young, really great women. But Lillian Trasher, she goes to Egypt by sort of accident because she has a friend in Egypt who is a missionary. They have a mission station up there. She's not really sure where she wants to go. She ends up in Egypt, right? In this really nice mission house. And then she's in the community, and basically she learns that there's this little baby that is uh, going to be killed because it's in this pagan area of Egypt where they're going, they do such and such things to children. And so she rescues this little baby, goes back to the mission house with her missionary friends, and the baby's there for a couple days crying his head off. And uh, she, she's in love with this little baby. She's, she rescues it. And she doesn't want to let it go. But by and by, the owner of the mission or the leader of the mission house, who's supposed to be a spiritual man, said, well, Lillian, we're so sorry, but this, that baby would be better off. Send it back to its, there was a grandmother who was still alive. Go give it to the grandmother. But the grandmother would just kill the baby. She knew that. And so they said, well, I'm sorry. It's either you give the baby back to the grandmother or you just have to leave. So this poor lady... What's the verse, right? Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. What happened? So she goes with the very little money she has, and she rents an apartment in Egypt somewhere with all the money she has, barely scrapes by. Her sister comes uh, from England to, to stay with her for a while. And after a while, she finds another baby who has the same situation. And after a while, she finds another baby and another baby and another baby. Before you know it, this woman has... An orphanage with thousands of babies. And they're no longer babies. They grow up, right? And she has this incredible ministry. But she started by rescuing this little baby. Gets kicked out of the mission house by her superiors. And she's basically destitute. But God exalts her into this great ministry. So you can see why these are my heroes. So when I look at people like uh, Hesu and 
and, and Cindy and Suji is in the mission field already. Amen. These are the visions I have for them, right? Not just going over there and peeing the G or kicking around or staying in the veranda and sipping tea. These are women that did great things. And they started with very lowly mindsets and they were exalted to a great degree. David Brainerd was another one. Um, David Brainerd was a missionary to America, right? North America. A long time ago, back in the 1700s, before we were really fully colonized, what was it? Uh, Indians who had devilish traditions. They were killing each other. They were doing voodoo dances, dancing around the fire, burning their babies, doing all kinds of wicked things. And he was a frail young man. He lived to the age of 29. And uh, he would go out and pray and minister. And he would, his conversion took like, at least a year because he was so burdened with his own sin. He would almost groan within himself, wondering, like, I, I know it's by grace that you're saved, but I feel so wretched. And he had this really incredible low time in his life before he got saved. And finally comes to the recognition that it's by grace that he's saved and that God wants him to be holy that God can give him everything he needs to be holy. And he begins to do ministry in North America. And this one time, uh, he's in the Indian camp, and they're doing this voodoo dance, and they're shouting these devilish things, and their hands are stretched out to heaven, and there's fire, and they, they wear these costumes, these devilish-looking costumes, and he couldn't stand it. It was snowing. So he goes out into the wilderness, a little about a thousand feet away, he gets on the snow, it's up to his waist. He gets down on his knees and he prays. And he prays. And he begins to sweat in the snow. And as it goes, he prays for about six or seven hours and all the snow that was about up to his waist melts away around him. And at the end of his life, of course, this is, the, the verse is, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. This was a man who had no hope. This was a man who had no success in his ministry. The Indians were not being converted. There was very, very few. But after a while, he started to grow in grace and started to work with the Indians and make converts. And, and then at the age of 29, he had tuberculosis and died. I want to tell you a little bit more about David Brainerd. Anybody know who John Wesley is? John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. And uh, there was another man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Anybody know who that is? Who's that? Jonathan Edwards preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in 1742. Started the first American Great Awakening. One of the greatest men who ever lived. But I want to tell you something about David Brainerd. This man who was so unnoticed, the unsung hero, a brother of low degree. He was wretched in, before he got saved and he had very little success when he was saved. But he had a few people in, in the uh, Indian territories that he built churches and so forth. He wrote a journal. Everything he, every, every day he wrote a journal about what happened to his life. And John Wesley decided after he died that he was going to make every, every one of his preachers read the, the life of David Brainerd. And he lived in his last days in the house of Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards, being this great preacher of First American Awake, Great Awakening, ascribes his success and his spiritual insight much to David Brainerd. Because this man was so fragrant with love of God. He was such a passionate man. 
and he was willing to suffer, coughing up blood while he was praying out in the snow. He never really lived in a house. He used to cut like uh, shavings from branches, and he'd make these little huts, and he'd live with the Indians. But this man was was a great man. Yes, he started with the, the, the lowly degree that maybe James talks about, but when he grew and his impact on humanity, his impact on eternity is unmeasurable. So you can see just with a few people like this how that there are so many um, people who are rich and prosperous and doing well and they're really not doing well and there's so many people who are poor and lowly and of low degree and they're exalted. I'll give you one more example and that's the Apostle Paul himself. In Philippians chapter 1 in Philippians he's in the prison in Philippi and in verse 13, he says something to this effect, that my bonds in Christ have made my brothers much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so when you're in prison and when you're in, in uh, privation and persecution, that should be something that you rejoice about. The manifesto of the kingdom, the Jesus wrote, Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. Right? The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, if they persecute you, rejoice. Leave for joy. Be glad. When they push you down, be glad. Why? Because a brother of low degree will be exalted in due time. Wow. So that's the one side of this uh, verse, I would say. And then verse 10 is the other side, back in James chapter 1. So verse 10, but the rich... So we have the poor, or the brother of low degree. Mm -hmm. We know about him, what they look like, how they suffer, how they groan in prayer. But then at the end, what happens? God exalts him. There's a principle here. If you humble yourself, you'll be what? Exalted. If you abase yourself, then you'll be humble, right? Or if you exalt yourself, you'll be humble. Right? So it's an inverse proportion. To the degree that you humble yourself will be the degree that you'll be exalted. To the degree that you lift yourself up will be to the degree that God has to resist you. Why? There are six things in the Bible. Yea, seven that God hates. What's number one? Pride. Proud a proud look. Right? So God has to abase and put down pride. And so what happens when you get rich? Anybody ever been rich here before? <laughs> I don't mean rich in spirit, I mean rich in wealth. Like I said, Abraham was rich, but it didn't seem to affect, he didn't boast himself or exalt himself, but he was rich. What does it say here? But the rich in that he is made low, by who? God. Because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. So if you think about a flower, it's, it has such exquisite design. Like it has the, the little, I think it's called a stamen, the little things that come out of it. And it has the, the little drips of pollen and just beautiful. And it has the different colors. So it has an exquisite design and, and then it has this fragrance to it. And it's very, um, very attractive to the eye, right? Very optically beautiful. And so it grows, and, and it looks really, really nice. I remember 
giving flowers to, I don't remember, I think it was my wife, the first time I ever gave flowers, but I remember giving flowers, and they were so beautiful, it was, of course, they were red, because I loved her, mm -hmm. and I think there was two dozen of them, um, but I didn't, didn't have much money to really buy her flowers. I don't know if that was the first time, but I remember the first time I bought flowers, and I remember seeing the flowers that I bought, so beautiful and so wonderful, and, and I, was, I could see the emotion between, it was either my mom or, or Bettina, I don't remember which one was first, but... But eventually, a day or two later, you start to see the flower kind of sag a little bit, right? And then another day, and then you can see people kind of cutting the stems off and trying to prop them up with little wires and so forth, right? Because these flowers, right? Even if they were in the ground, it's the same thing. It just takes longer. But we know when you buy flowers and cut them and you put them in a vase and you put sugar in the water and so forth, eventually that flower starts to wilt a little bit. Can I tell you something? Well, that's you too. That's a rich man. Because they're so beautiful, they can buy the best clothes, they can have the best car, they live in the best house, they have the best jobs, they're never wanting for food, never wanting for anything, and they think, this is great. This is all I need. I, I don't need God. Why? Because you have money. So suppose God lets you have money for your entire life. And so you just, your whole life, you're, you're eating and you're drinking and you're happy and you have children and you get promoted and, and you get all these honors. My wife is going to go next week or the week after. Her brother is a very rich doctor. Uh, he's uh, actually the CEO of some hospital or something. So he calls Bettina and says, hey, come Bettina because they're going to have a big honor, uh, honor session or whatever you call, what you call that. They're going to honor me. At a dinner, and I want you to be there. We're going to have a special table, and all my family's going to be there. And he's not saved. He has a his 16 room house, or I don't know how many room house, but he's got a big house, lots of cars, lots of toys. Yeah. And he's about 60 something years old, older than I am. Can you imagine that? That's pretty old. <laughs> he never thinks about God. And when he was young, he was very handsome, he was very muscular. I don't know about now, like I was too, but you, know, you can see what happens as you get old. <clears throat> but he's going to live his entire life. He's going to get this great honor. Everybody's going to celebrate his accomplishment, whatever it may be. You can tell us later. Someday he's going to die. He's going to die. Then what? So you're on your deathbed. What are you going to say? Oh, you had, you know, millions of dollars in the bank, you had your 401k, you had it all, everything going your way, you had this great uh, promotion, you had this Rolex watch they gave you, and then eventually you retired and you got your house and you got your, uh, in Bermuda or wherever it may be, and then you get sick, and that big strong body, that rich body that you fed so well and clothed so well begins to break down. Then what? Now what? Huh? All that high-minded thinking, all that fragrant beauty that you had, you know, the, just like the flower, it's so beautiful and you can decorate it and it's so wonderful, eventually it starts to wilt like my flowers that I gave Patina. And eventually you decide, well, those flowers are really nice at one time, but let's just take those flowers and throw them away. Right? That's what happens. There's a, in the Bible, in Luke, two, two stories in the book of Luke, 
He was a rich man, and he had big barns. The Bible says he, he was very prosperous that year. He had a, I guess he was a, a, a harvester, and he, this harvest is really great, right? And so he gets a lot of money, and he, he has so much wealth that he looks at his little barns and says, these barns are just too small. And so he decides he's going to tear his barns down, like a remodeling job, I guess. So he does. He tears down good, uh, useful barns because he's going to build a big empire, right? He's going to put a lot more stuff, you know, a lot more stuff in those silos. And he's going to, he tells himself, soul, I have much goods laid up for many years. Let me take my ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said something to him. You know what he said? In the book of Luke, he said, thou fool... And nobody can call you fool but God, because the Bible says if you call somebody a fool, that is an anathema, you're in danger of, of judgment. But God, when God says thou fool, you better listen. He was very, very rich. He had big barns. He pulls his barns down, and God said, thou fool, this day. Like, it's like, it, like being a rose, and you get cut off in that one day, so that I can take that rose and give it to my wife, Right? There's a day coming when God is going to cut your life off. God controls your life. You don't. The rich in that he is made low, it says. Because as a flower of the grass, he falleth away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the grace of the fashion of it falleth, and basically it dies. Very much like nature, a flower raises up. It's very beautiful, just like a rich man. It has a lot of color, a lot of uh, fragrance, a lot of smell. Everybody admires it, just like the rich man. Everybody's very, uh, oh, let's, let's pander to the rich. Right? Let's make sure they're comfortable. Let them come into our church and sit in the front row because we want to honor the rich. But eventually, the sun comes down with a burning heat. And it starts to scorch that plant. And eventually that plant dies. And Jesus says, Thou fool, this day thy soul will be required of thee. Hmm. There's another story in the book of Luke also. There's a rich man. And it says he was uh, wore purple. Now, in the Bible, purple's the color of royalty. So he was a royal person. Very, very wealthy. It said he fared which means eight, sumptuously, like we're going to today, because I made, in honor of uh, um, your parents, I made Szechuan chicken. So we're going to fare sumptuously today. But I didn't put jalapenos in today, so it won't be so hot. But they fared sumptuously. He fared sumptuously every single day. He didn't lack for anything. He was rich. He could have whatever he wanted. I'll just, just write the check, or pay with sheep, or pay with the camels, or whatever he had. So he fared sumptuously every day. And there was another man named Lazarus, and he was so poor, he didn't have anything to eat, except for what the dogs fell, what fell from the master's table, the crumbs. And he was full of sores. And the dogs would come and lick the sores. Lester Rolf, you say, well, that's Dr. Dog, so I call Sila Dr. Dog, which you, every time I have a, a sore, she'll come up and lick my sore, so that's Dr. Dog. Introduce yourself, will you? <laughs> but it says very plainly, this rich man who was dressed in purple had the, maybe the, 
Armani suits, $5,000, right? The Gucci wallet and, and the fancy shoes and all this stuff. And everybody respects him. And boy, he's the businessman and the entrepreneur. Wow. Yeah? Well, what happens? It says that one day, Lazarus was carried by the angels into heaven. And he's sitting there between, between heaven and hell. And there's a great gulf fixed between the two. And the rich man lifts up his eyes, being in torments. I bet you didn't think you were going to get a hellfire and brimstone message today, did you? I'm just preaching through James, and so this was not premeditated. I preached James chapter 1 through, uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'm just preaching what it says here, so don't be offended. I'm going to tell you what happened, though. He lifted up his eyes in hell. This is a real place. This is a place of torment. The Bible says in Revelation that the smoke of their torments ascends up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. This is a place that you do not want to go. This is a place where many rich people go. Not all. Like I said, it's not a sin to be rich. It's only a sin when you, have, when you give homage to your riches. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The rich and that he's made low, it says. He says, he lifted up his eyes being in torments, and he said, Father Abraham, I don't know how he said that, probably with anguish of voice, which I'm not going to try to demonstrate. <laughs> anguish of voice, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. You know the, the poor guy? Send him that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham very politely said, Son, remember in your life you had your good things. You enjoyed all those sumptuous meals. You've clothed yourself in purple. You had all the homage and you had all the respect. But now Lazarus, he's being comforted because he had none. Remember, he was a brother of low degree and he will be exalted. There it is. But you, in your lifetime, you had everything. You laughed and now you're not laughing. You were fed and now you're not being fed. You were comforted and now you're not being comforted. You had what you wanted in, the, in, that, in this life and now you're getting what you deserve. So it says, the rich in that he is made low because as a flower of grass he passeth away. Remember Nabal? Back in Samuel, Nabal is a man who was very, very rich. Abigail was his wife. Abigail is one of the Bible women that I would really respect. And uh, David, in one of his missions, sends his officers to go talk to Nabal, who has 3,000 sheep. And he says, well, talk to Nabal and have him, because he's very, very rich. Like it says in the Bible that he made feasts like the feast of a king. When he would feast, it was like being a king, like servants and golden cups and chalices and things like that and very very good uh, high-end food and so forth. And so when David comes to him and asks him for some help, some food for his soldiers, he sends him away and he's very disrespectful and this is Nabal, right? What happens to Nabal? Well, in the Bible, it says that after David uh, was going to go kill him, Abigail comes as a good godly woman she brings bunches of cakes and figs and raisins and she begs him not to kill her husband, not to take vengeance on her husband. And basically he doesn't. And uh, 
She gets back home. She doesn't want to tell Nabal because he's so cantankerous and angry and red-faced that she doesn't say anything. And he has this feast. And at the end of that 10-day feast, it says, The Lord smote him. Right? What does it say? It says, The rich in that he is made low because as the flower of her grass, he passes away. He just falls away. This is, this is indicative of people who have their mind on money. Right? This, is the way, this is the way people who just want power are. They, they may have power. Nabal had power. Right? He had thousands of camels and thousands of this and thousands of that. But there came a day when God said, that's enough. That's enough. I'm going to take your life away from this earth. So everybody cheer up now. All right. Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endured temptation, for when he is tried... This will be the last verse that I, I go through today. Blessed is the man that endured temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Mm-hmm. As the Lord hath promised to them that love him. This is an interesting verse. I want you to go to another interesting verse. Please go to uh, Revelation chapter 2. Hold your finger in James, of course, but go to Revelation chapter 2. Okay, so Revelation chapter 2. This is the church of Smyrna. So a little history lesson. If you want to know more about the churches, there were seven of them that Jesus prophesied through the uh, John and the Olive Patmos. And they are literal churches that are found right now in Turkey, Asia Minor. And they represent literal churches, but they also represent church eras. In other words, time frames. And uh, they also represent the... The temperature, the, the spirituality of the church. So there was two churches that were very spiritual, and then there was five churches that either were some greater or lesser degree spiritual or very unspiritual. So we are now today in the last church, Laodicea, which means that we are rich and increased with goods. And this, this modern generation of churches, we're rich... And increased with goods, we have need of what? Nothing. Nothing. And we think that we're spiritual, but we don't know something, and that is that we're wretched and miserable, probably because our riches are never satisfied. You know, the new Corvette and the new cars and so forth, you have to keep buying more. So we're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So Paul advises them, or not Paul, John advises them through Jesus to anoint their eyes with eye salve so that they may see, and to put on white raiment so they may be clothed, and buy gold tried in the fire that they might be uh, pure, right? So that's where we're at today. Smyrna was the other church. There's Philadelphia, which was a very good church, and I won't talk about that. Uh, But Smyrna was one of the churches that didn't have any rebuke. But I want to show you something about good churches. Eras, time frames, like like a thousand, 200 years ago, 
when Jonathan Edwards was preaching Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God, or when Charles Finney in the 1800s brought the second American uh, awakening, great awakening, to bear. The greatest times in history were then, right? For about three or four hundred years, that was Philadelphia. Well, here's Smyrna. This is maybe one or two or three centuries after the first century church, like the Apostle Paul and Peter and James and John, the sons of thunder, right, preaching the, the gospel, going around uh, the, the Mediterranean, preaching to all those places like Ephesus and Smyrna and Laodicea and so forth. Well, look what happens right after that first century church. Verse 11. I'm sorry. I lost my place. Chapter 2, verse... I think it's verse 9. Everybody knows we're in Revelation right now, right? Mm-hmm. Holding your finger in James chapter 1. So it says in verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. Notice it's poverty. Work, tribulation, poverty. Does that sound like a fun life to you? Well, it gets worse. But thou art rich. Well, that's not the worst part. It gets worse after this, right? So before I go on, you can be working having trouble, and be poor, but be very rich. Mm. Right? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 13 says, There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that hath, uh, maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Or I think it's 13.7. Right? So we can be very poor, but be very rich in heaven. You choose. Right? Because that's going to last for an eternity. Jesus said, Don't lay up your treasure on earth where moth and rust of corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up your treasure in heaven. For neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and thieves do not break through nor steal. Why? Because where your treasure is, Brother Will, is where your heart is also. Um, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of, say they which, of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things, verse 10, for thou shalt suffer. By the way, uh, Acts chapter 24, it says, I will show... Um, that we must enter into the kingdom of God through much tribulation. Like suffering all over the New Testament, mm-hmm. not prosperity, just so you know. We're, 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 we're making an analysis of what it is to be rich and what it is to be poor, which one's better. It's not bad to be rich, but if you're rich and that's all you have, you're not rich toward God, you're very, very poor. And if you're poor, but you have great spirituality, then you're very, very rich, but it's not riches here on earth, it's riches in heaven. So suffering's in the Bible, quite a bit for, for Christians. So have a good ride, but, you know, someday it'll be worth it. It says here, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Do you know the devil was going to do that to good churches? To good Christians? Good missionaries? Many a good missionary went to prison. Adoniram Judson went to prison. Right? They hung him by his feet for 11 months at night while the rats and the mosquitoes had their way with him. And had it not been for his wife feeding him, he would have died. One of the greatest men in, in American missionary history is Adoniram Judson. Many, many people were martyred for their faith, like John Huss, burned at the stake, or Tyndale, who gave us a Bible, right? They were burned for doing something spiritual. Behold, the devil himself will cast some of you into prison. I don't think the devil's interested in many Christians today. He's only interested in the Christians that are totally sold out, not for money, 
not to get the next job, but sold out for eternity. Sold out for Jesus Christ. Sold out for what really, the, the bread that lasts an everlasting life, right? Not just some temporary thing. So he says, The devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. So everybody smile. Ten days. I don't know how long that really means spiritually, but you're going to have some trouble. I think Job said, Job was the most suffering man. He says, as the sparks fly upward, so is man born in the trouble. Man that is born of a woman in full of days and full of troubles, right? Ten days. I told you it was going to get worth. You're going to have trouble ten days. Maybe that's ten years. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's your whole life. I don't know. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But he said, what... Here, what does he say? Be thou faithful unto death. Why? Because if you are faithful unto death, I'll give you a crown of life. There's five crowns in the Bible. This is one of them. Uh, this is sort of interesting because go back to James now. Here's the man in verse 12 writing, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation or trials, but when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. This is perhaps the best crown you can get. Why? It's your life. If you lose your life in this world, you'll gain it. If you gain your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for Jesus Christ's sake, you get the crown of life. That makes sense. This is the biggest crown. Is there any greater love that a man can have but a man lay down his life for his friends? Is there any greater thing that Jesus Christ could have done for us but to lay His life down for His friends? Amen. Is there any greater thing that you could do is to go to one of these nations or go do something for Jesus Christ and possibly lose your life? There's no greater, there's no greater joy, no greater reward, no greater crown than this. He shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love Him. This is true love. No man loves greater than dying for somebody. If you're willing to die for Jesus Christ, you will get the crown of life. So the interesting part about this is in Acts chapter 12, we're not going to go there because we're done. Acts chapter 12, the, the chapter opens up, not with a prayer meeting, but with a funeral. Who? James. The one who wrote this. The one who said that you'll have a crown of life if you give your life. There's a funeral. And then there's a prayer meeting. Because Peter's also in prison. And Herod wants to kill him the way they killed James. Right? But they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. And pretty soon, Peter's freed from prison. And he comes knocking on the door. And Rhoda answers. And she doesn't believe it's Peter. She thinks it's the Spirit. Right? What happened? The angel let him out through that iron gate that leads into the city. And he goes out. And his chains are, or, or fetters are taken off, and he goes and he sees people praying for them. Amen. Yeah. But let me tell you something. James got the crown of life. He's the one who wrote. I don't. I don't know if he thought well, maybe this will be me someday. But by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says, "If you are, if you lose your life, you are blessed. If you endure this kind of temptation, even unto death, you're blessed. You're going to have tribulation ten days." And the devil is going to cast some of you into prison. Some of you are going to have very difficult times in the nation. Some of you are going to have very difficult times in your ministries. But he said, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. 
no greater way to serve Jesus Christ. So I'd like to tell you right now, what the scriptures told us today is that there's two types of people in this world. There's types of people who want nothing but money and wealth and promotion and self-aggrandizement. And they are, they are going to very quickly in their lives start to shrink away like a, like a very beautiful rose and, and the, the leaves are going to start to wither and eventually the, it's going to start bow, bowing over and then it's going to it's going to lay on its side and then it's going to be in a in hospice and then very 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 soon that rich person is going to be pronounced dead and then they're going to have a funeral and then there's going to be something after that there's going to be some funeral yes but the bible says today your souls required of you and if you've lived your whole life for money you're going to be of all men most miserable because it's not worth living for it's, it's nice to have and as, a, as a servant, but it's not good to be a slave to it. Right, right. So that's the first type of person. The second type of person is the brother of low degree who's going to be exalted. The brother who's willing to suffer in this life so that he might grow and struggle and move on and maybe even die for Jesus Christ's name. And at the very end, he gets the crown of life. I believe there's going to be a great, great uh, continuum in heaven of where, and I'm talking about heaven, where there's going to be some Christians on this side of the continuum who are lazy and they didn't suffer, they stayed home, they didn't, it was raining outside, so they didn't go minister. Right, right, so maybe we talked about that the other day. Not that she did that. We sent her a verse in Ecclesiastes 11, she said, okay, I'm going, right? And she went, she did her ministry. There's lazy, Relaxing Christians, and then there's people like the Apostle Paul and Adam Judson and Gladys Allward and Lillian Trasher and Florence Young and William Carey and great men, great, great men and women, and they suffered and some of them died. And oh, someday you're going to see in that heavenly host, they're going to stand there at that judgment and they're going to be very bold. And those other Christians are going to be very, very sad. And there's going to be a lot of weeping. And there's going to be maybe a lot of uh, regret. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Amen. Nothing can be put to it. Nothing can be taken from it. And God doeth as it mentioned here before Him. So I close with this thought. Whatever you do now is going to last for an eternity. You can't put anything to it. You can't add one more uh, good work. You can't take away sins you can't take away your lust for money. You can't take that away. The minute your flower is cut off, the minute they pronounce you dead, it's all over. And then where you're going to stand before God someday. And you're going to have to give an account for everything you do, both good and evil. So you get ready for that now. I didn't say you can't have money or can't have jobs or can't have lands, but you better put your heart on Jesus Christ. Amen. You better set your affections on Him that's above, not on things on the earth. We're supposed to be dead. And our height, our life hid with Christ in God. Amen. 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 All right. Let's sing uh, number seventy-five. Maybe up there.